0: A friend of mine, a lot of people say one of the most powerful men in Europe,
1: Nigel Farage. Come on up, Nigel. U.S. borders are shut to non-citizens, but not to Nigel Farage. The friend of the U.S. president has been visiting ahead of Tuesday's election to show his support and strengthen the UK's alternative special relationship with Donald Trump. And over the past week, that friendship returned to the main stage.
0: This is the single most resilient and bravest person I have ever met in my life. Thank you, Nigel. That's something. Thank. I'm glad I called him
1: up. I'm Christopher Hope, the Telegraph's chief political correspondent, and this is a bonus episode of The Trump Card, A spin-off of my regular show, Chopper's Politics. In earlier episodes, I sat down with Nigel Farage to discuss Donald Trump, the man, the politician and the candidate. If he thinks you're a friend, he becomes a friend of yours. How many times did you go to the White House? Oh, several times. This is the most pro-British
0: American president we've seen for a very long time. He then shook me by the hand. He said, you will be my friend for life.
1: And today, as the hours tick down to voting day... I gave Nigel Farage a quick ring in the US to discuss the President's final Trump card. Hey, Hi, Nigel. Hi, it's Chris. Hello. Hi. How are you? Chris, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I've got to tell you, it is so cold
0: here in Pennsylvania. It's I'm actually scary. scared about this rally. Are
1: you wearing a vest under your suit? I
0: will be. Don't you worry. <laughs> I'm in Scranton, which, of course, is Joe Biden's hometown, but also, remarkably, Hillary Clinton's hometown as well. And Trump is doing a rally here in Scranton today. So though I must come to this. It's irresistible. Looking out the window, it is evil. Evil. It's hovering around <laughs> freezing. We're expecting snow. And despite that, I promise you, 30,000 people will turn up, will queue for hours
1: to listen to the president. Okay, so let's get on to our nuts and bolts. You arrived in America last week, and how many Trump rallies have you been to?
0: This will be the fourth one, and, you know, I've I've been as as far west as Arizona. And, I I mean, the guy, he's a human dynamo. He did five (laughs) rallies yesterday, from the Midwest down to Florida. He's on stage for an hour to two hours at each one. His energy levels are just astonishing. I've met just huge numbers of people at these rallies And interestingly, many of them did not vote Trump in 2016. So I've no doubt his vote will be a lot higher than it was in 2016. But then, of course, the overall turnout is going to be higher. Now, what we're seeing here is opinion polls saying that Joe Biden will win. We're seeing a betting market that has Joe Biden two to one on and Donald Trump 15 to eight against. It's very, very like 2016. You know, DC. The establishment think it's a slam dunk for Joe Biden. What I am seeing on the ground is momentum, a level of enthusiasm that I've never seen in any election before. And unless I'm wrong, unless Trumpism is a minority cult, then I think for every one of these people at these rallies, there are a lot more out there thinking the same way. So my view is that the opinion polls, particularly after this year, particularly after the Black Lives Matter stuff, particularly after people being fearful of stating conservative opinions for fear of what those others may say about them. My feeling is that he's going to win tomorrow. And I really do believe that. You put a bet on, haven't you? You you
1: put your money where your mouth is, Nigel Farage. How much? I
0: have. I don't bet very often. I bet selectively. But in 2016, I backed Brexit at three to one and I backed Brexit at four to one and did well. I backed Trump at five to two. So I won about ten thousand pounds on those bets in 2016.
1: And you bet how much each time? Well, I had a thousand
0: at three to one. I had a thousand at four to one, and I had uh, nearly three thousand at, at five to two. So I won about ten thousand pounds on those bets. I have gone double equits on Trump, fifteen to eight, two to one against, basically. So yeah, I've had a big bet. I have put my money where my mouth is, and I, I tell you what, in terms of a value bet. It's a very good value bet, given what I'm seeing. So I'm
1: I'm pretty confident. Well, in a two-horse race, those are quite generous odds. So I can see that. How certain are you of him winning? I know you're obviously a very wealthy man. If you can bet £10,000 on anything. I've gone double-a-quits on some winnings, Chris. You know, I mean, I'm a double a quits kind of but guy. how certain are you? Would you run around Parliament Square in your underpants? How certain are you? Let's put your personal capital on the line here.
0: <laughs> well, I've already put some capital on the line. Look... Chris, I am telling you that the odds are wrong, okay? If the odds say it's two to one on Biden, two to one against Trump, which is basically what it is, the odds are wrong. This is the betting market, in my view, should be evens, all right? So I think it's a good value bet. You know, I know you like me putting my neck on the line. (laughs) It's your job, I guess. Uh, Look, let me just say this to you. Very clearly, very simply, I believe with all my heart he is going to win.
1: Do you think he's been damaged by the lack of scale he can have in his rallies? The rallies are what gets everyone going, they give the data can go into the campaign, they know where the supporters are. Those smaller rallies are seem to be damaging the Trump factor, aren't they?
0: Well, they're not I believe you me they're not small rallies. They're not small rallies. I mean, you've got 15, 20, 25, 30,000 people turning up to each of these rallies. I mean, they are significant numbers in the depths of the American winter, you know, with yeah. what we're going to witness at the airfield at Scranton today. So no, uh, you know, these are still big rallies. Contrast that with Joe Biden's rallies. There's almost no one there. I mean, there's, there's Joe standing up on the stage, screaming like an angry old man and speaking into thin air. No, look, the, the, the Trump rallies are incredible the numbers going are beyond belief and remember most of these are organized with less than 24 hours notice and still people arrive people turn up
1: is that a difference because biden is observing social distancing quite strictly and trump isn't essentially well there may be a bit of that but the truth of it is there is no enthusiasm
0: for the joe biden campaign whatsoever he is clearly unfit for office He can barely string a sentence together. He forgets where he is. He forgets the name of his wife. I mean, he doesn't know where he is, this bloke. I mean, if he becomes the American president, America becomes a laughing stock. Of that, I've got no doubt. And when you poll Biden voters, the main reason they give for voting Biden is they don't like Donald Trump. Well, that's not a very
1: big reason, is it? If you haven't voted already, it's not a very big reason to go out and vote tomorrow. Do you find him quite a funny speaker, Donald Trump? I was reading someone from the weekend. When you do sit through a two-hour session with him, he is quite funny. I mean, that's what we don't. Need he's to very funny. On the clips. We were in Michigan the other day. There were four nuns in the front row, and he's saying, "Sisters,
0: sisters, is God with me?" I mean, <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> it's just extraordinary stuff. And he's obviously got the script. He's got the script that he's supposed to follow, but he doesn't follow it because he interacts with the crowd. You know, no, he's very, very entertaining. Let me just set the scene. So, you know, you've got 25,000 people waiting on an airstrip. On the horizon comes Air Force One coming into land. The music starts playing. As it touches down, we get Phil Collins, something in the air tonight. As he gets out of the plane, the eye of the tiger starts. I mean, the whole thing. One of the most popular things is Queens, we are the champions. You know, and they're all standing up, and it's just (laughs) amazing. When he's finished, they then play YMCA, Village People's YMCA. And and (laughs) Chris, Trump is on the stage dancing. I mean, you've just never seen... You can dislike the guy, you can disagree with him politically, but what you can never do is to deny the fact that this is the greatest
1: political, entertainer and extrovert the world has ever seen and I actually think will ever see. And he spoke on stage next to him in Arizona. You're about two or three metres apart. Did you have a chat with him afterwards? Have you, have you spoken to him at all yet? We, we, we've exchanged a few words, but not much more than that.
0: And, you know, he's been asking me, how am I doing? And I'm saying, I think you're doing very, very well. And he sort of nods. He's very shy. Oh, I'm non-controversial and shy compared to you. Yeah, no, I mean, the Arizona thing, I was, I was a bit surprised to be asked up, to be honest with you, but, uh, but I was pleased that I was. The only current leader in the free world who has got the guts to stand up and fight for the nation state, to fight for patriotism, to fight against globalism. And I meant what I said. It's rather like Brexit, isn't it? You know, we got the Brexit vote and the establishment spent the next three years trying to delegitimize and destroy Brexit, telling us it was the Russians, telling us it was Cambridge Analytica that somehow hoodwinked the whole nation. You know, we saw everything, didn't we, in Parliament from John Bercow all the way through, and then frankly, by Theresa May's government, something that was very close to a betrayal. It's been the same over here. You know, the establishment never accepted Trump. He's been through the Russia hoax. He's been through a false impeachment. Uh, He's never been given an even break by the establishment. And most people in his position, would have given up. They would have gone with the flow and become an establishment president. And I think his courage to stick to his guns through these four years has been remarkable.
1: You, you put your money where your mouth. There's £10,000 on, on a bet on Trump to win. But he is speaking at quite defensive rallies, isn't he? He's going to places where he needs to hold, not that he needs to gain to win. Do you see that? that there's a pattern there in where he's speaking, or do you not agree with that?
0: Not at all. No, he's been to Nevada. They're hoping to flip Nevada. Look, he won last time. All he needs to do is to win the states he won last time. All right? So, so that is a sensible strategy. The one they're trying to flip is Nevada, and he has been there too. There's no point, Chris, in going to California. There is just no point yeah. under the American system in him doing that.
1: Since we spoke, of course, for the, the Trump Card podcast, Trump has fallen foul of coronavirus. How has he handled that? And have you seen any difference in his energy levels having had that? I've never seen him look like he does. Honestly,
0: he is more
1: energetic.
0: He is in better humour than he was four years ago. Yes, he got it. He recovered incredibly quickly. No, look, I mean, this guy, this guy is just on fire. It is remarkable to see him. And as I say, by contrast, Joe Biden just looks like an angry old man. It's a huge contrast in styles. It really is. Where would you say that he needs to improve in his messaging? Or is it all there? I came to the Tulsa rally, if you remember, the first rally of the Trump campaign. And be honest with you, I was very disappointed. I didn't see any clear messaging. I watched the first debate. And again, I was very, very disappointed. By the time the second debate came along, he had control of the arguments. In the last 24 hours of this campaign, he doesn't need to change a single thing. It's dead simple. You vote for Donald Trump and you vote for life to go on. As much as it possibly can, despite the pandemic, and wait for the vaccine. And I think that message of hope, of optimism, I think is in exactly the right place. I, honestly, I do.
1: We're interrupting this podcast to bring you news of another Telegraph show we think you might like. It's called Planet Normal, and it's hosted by me, Liam Halligan, and me, Alison Pearson. We're both Telegraph columnists who share the view that far too often those who shout the loudest on the telly just don't represent the views of normal people. So take a trip with us to Planet Normal. We're joined by some stellar guests, well-known voices from politics, business and the arts. All from different fields, but they have one thing in common. They're at the top of their game, but distinctly down to earth. The good news is I finally learned what a podcast is and even how you subscribe to it. It's actually quite simple. Search for Planet Normal on your podcast app or click on the link in the show notes for this episode. You don't really know what a podcast is, do you? I am one. Look, I am one. Who needs to know what it is? I am one, Okay, (laughs) Shut up. Now, just looking back into the UK. Overnight, we've been reporting in the Telegraph about your plans for a Reform UK, a rebranded Brexit party. Mm-hmm. The re- reaction has gone down quite well. I'm looking at my Twitter feed and the have been interested on, on the Telegraph's website this morning. What are your plans for the party? Well, remember that uh, the Brexit party was formed because we have been let down like a
0: cheap pair of braces. Brexit wasn't going to be delivered. A second referendum was coming down the track. I'm so pleased that we did it because we... Didn't just win the European elections. We got rid of the worst prime minister in, in history, in Mrs May. We got Boris in. And yeah, we left the European Union. However, on Brexit, you know, we still don't know the final shape of the deal. We're getting some very bad stories this morning about compromises on fisheries and we'll see where else we go. But remember, one of the strap lines for the Brexit party was change politics for good. And Brexit needs to be the first step towards changing the way in which we're governed. And I think we all feel, in the Brexit party, that what the pandemic has done is to show us just how badly governed we are. How can you spend 12 billion pounds of taxpayers' money on a track and trace scheme that doesn't work? How could it be that firms like Serco? Keep being awarded huge government contracts. You know what? What are the processes that we're going through here?
1: But they're making up a response in real time, aren't they? With public money. I mean, it's, it's not it's an unenviable position, Nigel Farage, which you've never been in. I mean, they are trying well, to. No, to, I know I mean, you're quite challenge. right,
0: Chris. I've never been in a position to give contracts to my mates. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what but I no mean. No one. You know what I mean too. Uh, look, whether it's cross-channel migration, where they talk tough and do nothing, whatever the issue is, whatever the issue is. My feeling is we are very incompetently governed. We need wholesale reform of things like the House of Lords in our country. But right now, in the short term, we need a political voice that says that locking us down, for goodness knows how long, is not the right response, that actually countries like Sweden have taken a far better approach. And if you start to think, not just about the economic cost of a second lockdown, oh, and by the way, Anybody watching this that works for the civil service, you're fine. If you're in the public sector, you're great. Stay at home, drink beer. It's fine because, you know, you're going to keep your job, keep your pension. But anybody out there, you know, one of the 6 million people in Britain running their own business, acting as a sole trader, this second lockdown is the economic death knell for many of them. Added to which, just think about this, lung cancer diagnoses down 75% this year, serious heart conditions those diagnoses, down 60% this year. I was talking yesterday to the boss of a charity in Kent, my home county, a diabetes trust. They have 100,000 patients on their books. Not one of them, not one of them has been screened since March. So what does that mean for amputations, for blindness? If you start to count the longer-term health cost of shutting people out of the health system to prepare for a second wave that may never happen, I think more people will die and suffer as a result of not being diagnosed with things, that will die of COVID-19.
1: But you're risking there, aren't you, that people might catch COVID and die if you go on with the idea of this great Barrington Declaration of herd immunity amongst the wider population. I am
0: not denying the existence of this virus, all right? And I'm not denying that in a small percentage of cases, it is a truly horrible thing. But about 43,000 people have died in the United Kingdom of or with COVID, okay? What is the average age of those that have died? It is 82 years and three months. It is actually higher than the average life expectancy. So we need to get some sense of context into this debate. You know, 1,600 people die in the United Kingdom every single week. And if you look over the last couple of months at the Office of National Statistics figures... The average number of people dying every week has been at or even below the average for the last five or six years. So I'm not a denier. I'm not playing down the fact it can be very serious. I'm asking for us to get some context on this.
1: Would you be vaccinated
0: against COVID? Well, I'm I'm one of those people. I mean, I've, I've, I've generally had the flu vaccine every year. I only ever had flu once. It was a pretty horrible experience. So I've always thought it's quite a sensible thing to do. Look, when it comes to the vaccine, There's a lot of optimistic talk that there'll be a vaccine by Christmas or a vaccine by the spring. I'm a little bit more sceptical about that because it seems to me that generally vaccines do take longer to develop. I also think, let's say tomorrow there's a brand new vaccine, all right? My mentality is going to be, I'll tell you what, Chris, you take it first and if you're OK, I might
1: take it afterwards. You know, but I don't, I don't see mass... But well, up- you, will, you, you will take it. You're not an anti-vaxxer in terms of the vaccine. No, please. no, 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 no. I, no. Think va- okay. I, I think vaccinations have been one of the great developments of mankind over the last couple of hundred. Years. We first mentioned, you and I discussed Reform UK on the, that last day campaigning on the Brexit party battle bus before the election in December last year. Why now? Uh, critics of yours will be saying you're jumping on the latest bandwagon, which is this concern about lockdown, which the other parties are not, are not filling. You're not a bandwagon. Is it? It's not a bandwagon.
0: Every political party supports lockdown. It's time we had an alternative voice and an alternative debate. And I think by doing what Richard Tyson and I have done overnight, with the strong support of our colleagues, I think Boris Johnson now needs to start making some better arguments to the country as to why he's locking us down for what could be a long, depressing winter. So I tell you what, even my critics, I hope, couldn't deny that what we're doing is trying to have a full, Proper democratic debate on this key issue.
1: And just briefly on your plans, will you be standing in the London mayoral elections next May? What, me personally? Not you, uh,
0: a candidate <laughs>
1: for the Reform UK party. I, I, I
0: think if we're, if, if we're going on like this, we're going to have to. I also think what's very interesting is the police and crime commissioners. I mean, how amazing to see police and crime commissioners taking the knee, pledging allegiance to Black Lives Matter, an organisation that wants to defund them and close them down. What we've seen, I think right throughout the upper echelons of British society is a total lack of moral courage. We're
1: going to find men and women who have got moral courage. How many Conservative MPs have been in touch about your new party? You'd be surprised. How many? Uh, no, you'd be surprised. Half I've, a dozen? I've Twelve? Got, I've got plenty of
0: people. Show us your phone, not a far I've got lots of people saying good on you, I promise you. Any MPs? Tory MPs? And of course, but the trouble is, you know how it works... They'll be threatened, they'll be bullied, they'll be blackmailed, and this will sail through the House of Commons to the absolute despair of millions of people.
1: Now, very briefly, back to the Trump card, back to the big moment of this week, the election or the re-election of Donald Trump or the election of, of Joe Biden as a US president. What's your final take, having been there for a week now in, in America, as we move into election day?
0: I have never seen in any election campaign that I've witnessed anywhere in the world a level of Fanatical support that Donald Trump enjoys. And it seems to me, even since I've been here, that support is building and growing. It's called momentum, and it's on his side. And that is why he's going to win. And once again, confound all of the critics.
1: And in five words, Nigel Farage, what is Donald Trump's Trump card? Donald Trump's Trump card is optimism,
0: energy, Belief and the fact that he's actually, whether you like his style or not, he is a leader of men.
1: Nigel Farage calling in from Scranton, Pennsylvania, the home of Joe Biden, on the eve of the US presidential election. Thank you for speaking to us.
0: Thank you very much indeed, and I'll speak to you after he's won.
1: Well, that's it for this bonus episode of The Trump Card. Now, if you want to listen back to the earlier episodes, you can find them on this feed or by heading to telegraph.co.uk forward slash trump card. The next time you'll hear from me, we'll know who the next president of the United States is. Probably. But until that moment, our teams in Westminster and Washington will keep you up to speed on every twist and turn in the battle for the White House. And you can access that expert analysis round the clock, 24 hours a day, by signing up for a telegraph subscription at telegraph.co.uk forward slash trump podcast. Listeners can get one month completely free and you'll be sporting podcasts like this, What's Not to Love. And of course, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find this show and enjoy it like you do. This episode was produced by Louisa Wells and Theodora Leludis. The music is by Tom Pink. Thank you for listening.